My name is Colleen Hubline. My, uh, I'll be reading from Ephesians 5, 1, 21 through 33. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You can tell that for the last few weeks, if you've been around the church, we have been in this section of God's Word in Ephesians chapter 5, where we've been talking with great specificity, intentionality uh, about marriage and God's design for, for marriage. We live in a culture today that has a lot of different things to say about marriage. And it's led to a lot of confusion. In marriages, it's led to a lot of heartbreak because of a lack of, of misunderstanding. And so this morning is really part three of three messages in this section of God's Word that speaks with great clarity on, on marriage itself, and specifically then the roles of husbands and wives within the context of marriage. And I think this is so timely for, for so many reasons. Even just again, this, this past week, I saw a news article where a woman married an artificial intelligence. She, she, I don't know which one she decided to marry to, although she still said she's open to love with a regular human being. So, so like, I'm just, I'm seeing that there's just culturally that what marriage is, is just, it's kind of up for grabs. When in reality, church, we know that, that God is really specific on marriage. Um, in fact, what we believe and what we say that the word proclaims is by way of review is that marriage is not a man-made thing, it's a God-made thing. It was instituted by God. He created it. He defines it. He's got purpose for marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're seeing that God has a real purpose and design for husbands and wives in the context of marriage. But one of the big things that we looked at was when we consider what marriage actually is, we said this, and that is marriage at its core. It's not about your happiness. It's not about you finding somebody that you say, they complete me. Marriage isn't about your happiness. It's about your Christ-likeness. Like, this is God's design for your marriage. It's that this covenantal union where two people come together, a man and a woman come together. And what they're saying is, I want to be helped by you, and I want to help you 
live in the fullness of what it means for you to be an image bearer of God. Now, the beautiful thing is when two people are living as image bearers of God, when they're helping one another in that, that leads to joy, that leads to peace, that leads to harmony, that, that leads to a, a fullness of life because we've been created to bear God's image. And marriage is two people saying, you know what? I need help in this, I want to be helped in this, and I want to help someone else live out who God has called them to be. And this is kind of an upside-down thing from the world. The world's like, no, find somebody that you have love and affection for, that you're attracted to, and that together they'll, they'll make you happy. And God says, only I can be your full fulfillment. Only I can be the one who completes completes you. And so what we saw as we've been looking in the book of Ephesians is that specifically in chapter 5, God is coming and he's speaking to those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. He says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And and there's this idea that we're seeing in the book of Ephesians, like what does it look like for us to to be imitators of God in the context of of marriage? And, And And what we see and have seen thus far in Ephesians chapter 5, like last week, is that God has given wives and husbands different roles in marriage. Like if we're going to be imitators of God in the context of marriage, we have to understand that, that a husband and a wife, while they are equal in the eyes of God, while they are equally image bearers, God has called husbands and wives to fulfill different roles in the context of marriage. But then the question becomes, like, what are those roles? Well, it comes out to us here. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is itself its savior, as is himself its savior. The first thing that we saw last week was that this distinguishing between husbands and wives, at least in their roles, is that wives are called to submit to their husbands, and we define that as following, assisting, and supporting a husband in his role, but that the husband's role is ultimately to to lead the family. He's called to be the leader in the marriage. Now, today, we're going to break out what that actually means. We're going to look at what does it mean for a husband to really lead, but, but in case you weren't here last week, like, let's be really clear on what it means for a wife to submit to her husband, because that word carries so much cultural baggage today. In fact, when most people hear it, like, there's just like this initial, like, oh, you know, what does this word actually mean? And so we said a couple of things according to the text. Number one, submission does not mean inferiority. It's not an inferiority of personhood to be able to say that, okay, the wife's role of assisting, following, and supporting her husband's leadership, that's not, that doesn't mean that she's inferior. It just means that they have different roles because men and women are equally created in the image of God. So for a woman to fulfill her role doesn't mean that she is saying, I'm inferior to this person, he's superior to me. No, it's saying, God has given you this role. And we understand that, that these roles that have a structure to them, we see them all over the world, and we know in day-to-day life the importance of understanding our roles and, and how different roles can have an appearance of superiority when in actuality they're not. I use the illustration of a fire squad, a rescue squad. You know, they get the 911 call. Let's say it's your 911 call. And it's on Valley Center Road, which is probably a high probability these days, right? And and you're in an accident, and you're trapped in the car. The last thing you do is want to call 911 and have the rescue squad arguing with who's going to drive the truck, 
right? It's already been determined. So does that mean that the driver of the truck is greater than the person who's not driving the truck? No, there's this understanding of roles, but one's necessary. When they get on the scene, you don't need five guys all coming and trying to assess what's going on. One person assesses, and then the others come, and they speak into that, that plan. We see it in business. We see the structures within an organization that are necessary. And so we see roles everywhere, but it doesn't mean that because one is to come alongside and under the the leadership of another, that that means that they're inferior. And part of the reason why we know that the role of submission isn't one of inferiority (laughs) is because, as I said last week, all roles in marriage are temporary. All roles in marriage are temporary. Why do we say that? Because there's no marriage in heaven. There's only one bride and there's only one groom in heaven. The bride is the church of Jesus Christ and the groom is Christ himself. And so one day, these distinctions that are necessary while we're here on earth, one day between men and women, like, they stop. There's no marriage in heaven because there's only one whom we're captivated with. There's only one who we look to, and it's Jesus Christ. So all rules are ultimately temporary. And what we're going to see a little bit today and in greater fullness next week is the fact that Christ has designed marriage to communicate to the world his relationship to the church, which is why one day marriage no longer will exist because the church will be fully united. There's no more need to communicate the beauty of what that is. So submission doesn't mean inferiority. But the other thing we talk about submission is it's not blind obedience either. It's not blind obedience For a wife to submit to her husband in that role doesn't mean that, well, listen to me, it doesn't mean that a wife is called to obey her husband. And the reason why I can say that is because that's what God's word says. You see, children are called to obey their parents because in that role, children are to obey. A wife is to willingly come under the leadership of her husband. So often we equate submission with obedience, and God's word doesn't do that when it comes to this role. It's a wife coming and saying, I know that you're the leader. I know where you're looking to lead. I'm letting you know I'm coming underneath you. A child, when a, when a parent speaks, unless it's an area of sin, the child has to obey. There's a distinction in that kind of relationship. The wife is the helpmate for the husband. And so we know that if a husband calls a wife to sinful behavior, she must not submit. We're clear on that, right? Because he's your brother in the Lord first before he's your husband. And, and if I see a brother or sister in sin, we, like, we have to call that out. We have to deal with it. Submission doesn't mean this meekness where you never address the sin of your partner, where whatever they do, you have to go along with it, even if it's an area of sin. That's not a healthy marriage. That's not a marriage as God has designed it, as we're going to see again in the text today. You're coming alongside your husband. I'm going to give you something today. Um, Like, listen, as far as like, there's so many ways of applying this, but right after the service, I had somebody come up to me and and they said, you know, my my husband, you know, I'm trying to help him in an area of of his health. And she's like, what does it look like for me to assist him? but also follow, like, I I don't want to, I don't want to overstep, where's the line, you know, on this, because when he's having these health issues, I I feel like I need to speak into it, and I I said, listen, no, like, you have to speak into your husband's health issues, like, that's what it does mean to support him, like, if you don't speak into his health issues, like, that's not a a good thing, I said, what you could do as a wife is to come alongside him and say, listen, um, I'm called to be your partner, I'm called to, we're, we're called to do life together, I want you to be around for a while, How can I help you in this area that won't sound like me nagging on you? 
but will be me helping you in this. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's a picture of how this can work. It's not that she just sits by and says, you know what? He's going to die. He's going to die. And that's what my dad would say to us. But that's not what, you know. As a wife, you come alongside in that way. So submission is not blind, blind obedience. One of the things that we need to be thinking of, and it's more than I can do today, is to understand that there's something called traditional marriage, and then there's biblical marriage. We have to be careful that as we fulfill the roles that God has called us to, a husband leading his home and a wife submitting to her husband, that we are informed in our roles according to what God's word says and not our cultural norms that we impose upon what marriage is. Because often what we'll do is we'll say, well, this is what biblical marriage is, and all we're doing is we're imposing our culture's understanding of what marriage is. And the cultural roles that, God, that, that you know, people come and say, well, this is what a wife does and this is what a husband does. And sometimes those things are helpful, but, but ultimately we want to say, but is that, is that biblical? Is that an accurate reflection? Like, is a wife just to be cleaning the dishes, making the, the dinner, and barefoot and pregnant? Like, is that what it bit? No. That's not the understanding of what that looks like. The husband is called to lead. The, the wife is to support him in that as both are looking to be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. But how that comes together, we want God's word to lead and to guide us in this. Now, as we think about this, I have to share something with you, how, how God just has a sense of humor. When you think about sub- submission and, and a wife's role and those things, you know, I have three daughters. And so after the message last week, you know, we were just, you know, the girls were getting a little bit older. And I just said, hey, you know, for, for the older two that were there, I said, you know, what did you think about that? How do you respond, you know, to all of, you know, what I, what I had to say? And how do you think about it? How, what did you hear me saying? And, and it was a really great discussion. I was glad that they, that they kind of saw those, saw those things. And I said, what do you think about your mom and I and what this looks like? And I said, you know, for us, it's always kind of like, it's dad and mom. You know, it's like you guys are, you, you come across as equals within the marriage, but we know, dad, that you're supposed to leave. But there's, there's not like, you know, mom's subservient to you and everything like that. And, and I was like, oh, good. This is, I want my daughters to have a healthy picture of, of what marriage is. And then my wife. I love this so much. She's like, she's like, yeah, you know, because the other day I was hearing about a story of this father, and he was grossly over, overweight. And what he did was he would command his children and his wife to put on his socks and shoes every day and to tie his, his shoes. And he would say, because I'm your father, because I'm your husband, you need to take care of me and you need to put on my socks and shoes every day. She's like, she's like that's not what submission should, should be. He's abusing his, his role. And I was like, okay, all right, let's get, I agree. Let's simmer it down a little bit. You know, but I, you know, I'm like, no, absolutely. Like that is, that is not a healthy picture of a marriage. So here's what happens. So that night I was playing in a roller hockey game. I'm playing in the game, and I get, I get hit, and I fall, and immediately after I fall, I tweak my back, and, and, I'm, and I'm just like, oh, I know where this is going, and so that night, I can feel it stiffening up. I'm, I'm turning over, and it's getting stiffer and stiffer, and then morning comes, and I'm like, I'm like Hannah, can you help me just, just pull, pull me out of bed? She's like, okay, so she pulls me out, and I'm trying to walk and loosen it up and get ready to come into the church, and, and I put on my clothes, and I look down at my feet. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, Hannah. And she's like, I just want you to know I'm putting on your socks and shoes because I love you, but not because you commanded me to do it, okay? This is out of love, not because I'm, you know, trying to be some subservient. I said, no, 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 I get it, I get it. And so she put on my socks and my shoes for me. 
So I don't know what God's wanting to teach her in all of this, you know, but I mean, it's just something, something. But I, I just like, God, you have a sense of, of humor in the midst of, of our lives. But church, this is what we understand when we're talking about the wife's role just by way of review. Because today, though, then, it, it really comes in focus. Is, and listen, I did not plan this from a, you know, from a monthly standpoint that today we would talk about husbands on Father's Day. But that's where the text has us. And so we've talked about a husband's call to lead. But in our text today, 25 to the end, what it really shows us is what does it mean for a husband to lead? So let's come and look at the text. Let's, let's come now and see this role that God has given to husbands in a marriage. And it starts with this. Husbands... Love your wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Just as his instructions to wives was abundantly just clear and straightforward, he doesn't mince words. He comes and he says in a very straightforward way, husbands lead their wives by loving them. What does it look like for a man to lead? The first part of your notes is this. Husbands lead their wives by loving them. Another way that you could say it is that a husband's leadership is defined by love. A husband's leadership in the home is defined by, by love. Now, the question then becomes, well, what, what does that love ultimately look like? I mean, what is our definition of love? I, I find it really interesting that Paul's already talked about the fact that love is to define all of our lives as Christians. Just right back in verse 2 of chapter 5. Look at the scriptures with me. It says in verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. But then verse 2, and walk in what? Love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We've already seen here, Paul's bringing us back to this idea of, of love. But now he specifically says, husbands, I want you to know that you are called in this role to, to love. And not only are we called to love, but in verse 2 and here in verse 25, we see something really, really clear. And that is Jesus Christ's love for the church defines how a husband is to love his wife. We are not left to guess at what it means to love. Both Ephesians 5 verse 2 and Ephesians 5 verse 25 point to the fact that our loving of our spouse and how we are to love others is illustrated and modeled by Jesus Christ himself. And so look at what it says. In verse 2, we are told, and walk in love as Christ loved us and what? Gave himself up for us. No surprise in verse 25, it says the same thing. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and what? gave himself up for her. If we are to understand what it means to love, the very first thing that the text says is you have to understand that Christ's love for us was a love of giving up of himself, which takes off the table that love in this context, either in verse 2 or verse 25, as we looked at earlier, is just purely about having affections for or feelings of attraction towards someone else. The love that's being talked about here, the agapao love that's being referred to in the Greek, this is a love that, that acts in a very specific way. God is saying to husbands today, you are to look to Jesus Christ and how he demonstrated love towards us, the church, 
as the example and the model to follow. And so how did he love the church? Christ gave himself up for the church. He gave himself up for the church. But what does it really mean for him to give himself up for the church? In verse 25, those six little words, and he gave himself up for her. I want you to see that they are the most loaded words almost in all of Scripture. They encapsulate and communicate so much because in those words that he gave himself up for her, God's word is communicating to us what the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ mean. He is revealing to us the entire redemptive arc. He's pointing to, in these few little words, a summary of what Christ has done. He gave himself up for her. And what that means for him to give himself up for her is found back in verse 2. It's in verse 2 that he expands upon what it means for him to give himself up. He says, he gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you see that in the text? It's that right there. The giving up of himself was an offering and a sacrifice. Listen, church, to me. As we consider what that offering and sacrifice actually mean, to give up of yourself, we can have lots of ideas of what that can mean, but he says, no, 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 no. When you want to know what it means to give up of yourself for your wife as a way of showing love, it means being an offering, being a sacrifice. So do you know how Christ gave himself up for us? The Son of God in, in perfection and in glory, in heaven and in perfect communion with God the Father and God the, Son, and God the Holy Spirit, in the glory and the perfection of heaven, came down to earth and took on human flesh. God the Son took on flesh, took on humanity, and all that went with it. He experienced in his flesh the full effects of a sin-stained world, what it meant to feel pain, to, to, to feel brokenness in relationship with someone else. He was the perfect human being without sin, and yet he lived with a bunch of sinners. And he did all of that because he knew something. Jesus Christ came down because he knew that humanity needed to be restored. Humanity needed to have the weight and the debt that was owed God because of our sins forgiven, but it could only be done through a perfect sacrifice. And so what did he do? The scriptures tell us, don't they? It's abundantly clear that he lived that perfect life, and then he came, and he was arrested, and he was falsely accused. He was the holy son of God, was spat upon. He was beaten with rods. He was whipped till his flesh was torn. He had a crown of thorns placed upon his head, and he was marched to die on a cross. And if we know anything about death and a cross, one of the things that history tells us, what history is full of, is those who were hung on the cross were hung naked on the cross. And so the humiliation, the ridicule that Christ would experience, having nails then driven in his hand, and then the ultimate, what he gave up for us, was experiencing the Father turning his face away so that Christ called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, 
The full condemnation of humanity was placed upon Christ. When it says that he gave himself up as an offering and sacrifice, this is what Christ did for us. This is what it meant for him to give up of himself for us. So whatever a husband's understanding of what it means to love the wife, Paul says, you look to Christ and his giving up of himself for you to understand the extent of what it looks like to truly lead in love. Like this turns everything on its head. It turns leadership on its head. But then look at what it says, why he did all of it. Yes, it was a him giving up of himself. Yes, it was him making a sacrifice. But look at verse 26. He did it all that he might sanctify her. This is in reference to the church and those who are part of the church. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without what? Blemish. He does all that he does. He gives up himself so that we might experience blessing beyond measure. Do you see what his sacrifice was, was intended to accomplish? And do you see what his sacrifice actually accomplished? He gave himself up so that you and I would receive the greatest good. That's why he sacrificed as much as he did. Why he sacrificed what he did. It wasn't just giving himself up. It was giving himself up for the good of others. And here's where I have to stop and pause for a moment. Do you hear what Christ's giving up of himself actually did for you and for every follower of him? If God's word is true, and it is, in the midst of this discussion of husbands and wives, he says, Christ has made you blameless. Christ has sanctified you. Do you know what it means to be sanctified? To be made holy. Paul here is bringing us back to everything that he said before. To be in Christ today, to know him as your savior, is to be one who will not one day be holy, although we know that in fullness we will experience glory. It's today our identity in Christ is that God sees you as holy. Not only does he see you as holy, he uses these words. He talks about without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He's talking about there's no deformity in you because of Christ. Church, this is who we are because of Jesus. He gave himself up for you so that you are completely and utterly new. It's not what you think about yourself. It's not how you feel about yourself today. God's word speaks over you and says, this is your identity. How great is this for us to know? And how important is this for us to know as husbands and wives that a husband on your best day, you are sanctified, holy before God. And on your worst day in Jesus Christ, you are, guess what? Holy before God. And wife, on your best day, you are holy before God. And on your worst day, guess what? You are holy before God because of what Christ has done. This is the hope of the gospel even for anyone here today who comes in. And they realize their shame and their guilt. Like this is the promise of what Christ does when he gives himself up for you. 
I also want to hone in on something. Do you see the language here? Who does he do this for? It says his church, which means that the person sitting next to you, no matter what you think about them, if they're in Jesus Christ, this is how God sees them. And if I'm a husband here today, and my wife is a follower of Jesus Christ, if this is how God sees her, well, how should I think about her? Should I view her and see only her faults and her failures? Or should I say no? God sees her as holy and blameless. I'm going to embrace that identity for her. And I'm going to praise that she does the same for me. <laughs> because this is what is, is true. See, Jesus knew the position that he had. He knew the authority that he had. He knew that he could, by giving up of himself and serving those under him, leave us better off. And that's exactly what he did. So, loving your wife, husbands, it means making sacrifices for her good making sacrifices for her good because that is what Christ has done for us. Amen? And I love how just, this isn't just husbands and wives instruction. God does not miss the opportunity to proclaim the glories of who he is and what he's done in the midst of, of all of this. And so I have to ask, is this the mindset that we have as husbands? Do you know that what Paul says here is totally, totally turning a cultural understanding of, of the, the role of leadership on its head? I mean, think about this for, for a moment. When he talks about a husband loving a wife in this way, he's already said in verse 2 of chapter 5, we should all walk in love. So why does he come and he specifically say, and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church? It's because when you have a role of leadership and authority over somebody else, in our sinfulness and in our flesh, we typically use our role of leadership to serve self. That's the temptation. That's the greatest temptation is to take the, the authority that we have, the leadership that we have, and make it about feeding our desires, serving our desires. And yet God's word comes and says, oh, not in my kingdom. That's not the way that I function. The leadership that I had, the authority that I had, the, the position that I had, I used that for what? Blessing those who were under me, seeking out their, their good. This is, this is God's design. And like I said, it goes contrary to human nature. You know, it's, it's interesting to me that we as human beings, we have a hard time following God's design. Um, often we find in nature, though, God's design still at work pretty well. And there are people that, that study things that I'm like, you, you go, you, you study those things. And I'm glad they do because we come across things that are fascinating. In Central and South America, there are people that study insects. Etymologists, right? Etymologists are those who study you know, little, little insects. Yeah, so they have these etymologists down in Central and South America and they studied some of these ants that are down there. And I'm like, okay, somebody's got to do it, I guess. You know? So they're studying these ants. And they discovered that these ants are designed in such a way that when they are on their way to go get food, you know, ants go in a line. But often as they're going in a line, they will encounter you know, holes either in the, on the ground or in a branch. And what these ants will do, what they're designed to do, is they will naturally, the first ant that comes across it, will go down into that hole. And if that hole is only one ant deep, then the other ants will walk across the top of that ant. But it will place itself in the hole so that everybody else can get there easier and faster. 
And if the hole is bigger, one ant will go in after another ant and they'll pile on until there's enough ants in that hole for the rest to go over the top. And they'll do this because they understand in their, in their role, even if the one is like, well, I was the first ant, well, I'm not going in the hole, Bill's going to go in the hole after me. No, he's, he's like, I know what's necessary here. And so I'm here for the good of others. Now, somebody could say, so you're telling me just to walk all over me? That's not what I'm saying, okay? Don't take it there. I'm saying it illustrates, it illustrates this mindset of I'm going to make sacrifices for the good of, of others. And so husbands, this is what God has given to us. But he doesn't stop there. Look down at verse 28, because in verse 28, he continues on. What does it look like to walk in, in, this, in this love, in this loving leadership? He says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Love's not just making sacrifices for others. In fact, sometimes we can think about it, the sacrificing is like, oh, you know, I'm gonna, you know, I'd fall on a grenade for my family. Well, he's, he's gonna come and he's gonna say, listen, it's, it's more than just making those big sacrifices. He says, you know how you care for your own bodies? He says, when you become together with one with your wife, you should have this mindset of caring for her in the same way that you'd care for your own body. Now, I could see some smart Alex being, being like, it's like, well, you know, this is how I care for my body. And, and so, you know, I, I tell myself what to do every single day and I do it. And he's like, okay, simmer down now, right? He's like, let's, what kind of care are we talking about here? Look at verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh. That should be a duh statement, but it's still there in the text but nourishes it and cherishes it just as what? Christ does the church. You want to define the kind of care that you're supposed to have for your own body, i.e. then for your own wife. Look at Christ and how he cares for the church because he says we are members of his body. Listen, we are intimately joined to Jesus Christ. And what does he do? He nourishes and he cherishes us. We are intimately joined to him. Look at verse 31. He goes on to say, this is why the text says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Husband, you are joined to your wife as one and you are to nourish her and to cherish her just as Christ does the church. That's how you're to define the care that's necessary for her. But it begs the question, what does it look like to nourish and to cherish as Christ does the church. I mean, God's word could have used a lot of different words to describe how Christ cares for his church, but he uses nourishes it and he uses cherishes it. And those two words are so important. Using the combination of these two words, it's not an accident. It's not an accident because these two words used in this combination speak to the care and the provision of the entire person. Let me show you what I mean. Nourishes it, this word literally means to provide what is needed to thrive. It's typically, as far as physical needs are concerned, but it's to provide what is needed to thrive. And so in this context, loving your wife, what it means is providing what she needs to, to thrive. It's, it's giving what is necessary to the individual, truly knowing the individual's needs so that they might flourish, so that they might grow. It's why it's a word that is typically used about giving somebody the physical needs that, that they need. You know, in the Wajniki home, we have discovered that we can keep three things alive and, and only three thus far. I can keep children alive. I've, I've been able to do that thus, thus far. Um, I can keep dogs alive. I'm sorry as far as it pertains to cats. It's a story for another day. Uh, and, and, 
and I can keep olive trees alive. Other than that, no other plants, no other things thrive in and around our, our home. Weeds, but we all got those. And, oh, and so what I've learned is, it's like, okay, uh, you know, listen, when it comes to human beings, like, there are things that we need physically in order to thrive. There, there's, there's ways in which we, we understand that for plants, there are things that we need in order to to thrive. Not just, not just live, but nourishes it. So when you see a deficiency, when you see something that's, that's not right, it's like, what's missing here that I need to ultimately look to replace? A leader in the home, a man who loves, he looks to provide what his wife needs in order to thrive. What is that going to require, men? It's going to require an attentiveness to your spouse beyond just yourself. As, listen, David Wojnicki knows what I need to thrive every day. I know those things that I need physically in order to, th- to thrive, emotionally in order to thrive. Like, I, I have that awareness of myself. God says the two become one flesh. Do you strive as a husband to understand the same as it pertains to your wife? And so there's this, there's this idea of saying, look at what Christ does He gives us what we need in order to thrive in him. He knows us intimately, and so we're seeking to know each other intimately. But but then he uses the word cherishes it. And I love this. This word to cherish it is to display comfort and care for. It hits not so much at the physical things, but it hits at more of the the emotional things. It's this idea that loving your wife means showing her compassion and care. It's not just saying, you know, I go out there, I provide, we have food, we have a roof over our heads, that should be enough. No, it means that she is a a human being created in the image of God. She's a relational being, and so there needs to be this compassion, this needs to be this, this care. He cherishes his church. Christ speaks words of blessing over us and into our lives. He communicates, doesn't just show his love for us. And so when he's saying that we are to cherish our wives... It is showing them the compassion and the care that Christ has shown us. And for some of us as men, we're like, I not too good with word, right? Like you might think like, I don't speak that well. It's, it's listen, I get that. Men are not as verbal as women, but we can't just come and say, you know, I did that thing for you. Isn't that enough? It's, it's coming and saying, does she receive and understand my compassion and my care? Are the things that I am doing being received by her in that way? Or am I just doing? Am I speaking into her life? Do I know her fears? Do I know her anxieties? Am I coming alongside of her? Just as she's supposed to come alongside of me, am I leading my wife and knowing what she needs? And is she receiving compassion and care from me? It's why Paul would write to the church in Colossae and he would say, husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. It's kind of implied here in the text. He doesn't have to say it here because he says it in Colossians. It's not being harsh with them. And here's where I want to stop and say something. Do you see how absolutely revolutionary this is? Not just in a marriage relationship, but in the world. I'm blown away. I know that people have used God's word, misinterpreted, misapplied it, 
to, to cause abuse and to harm. They have, they have misapplied this understanding of submission and, and love. But I'm here to tell you, if you read the scriptures, what God's word says here, what Paul was communicating, what Peter was communicating was revolutionary in their day and is revolutionary today. Christianity is the only religion in the world that elevates women and builds them up and doesn't tear them down. In the ancient world, women were continually viewed as property and a means to an end. Yet look at what the text says here. If you have a wife, do you see what you as a man are called to do for her? Yes, she is called to be in this role of following, assisting, and supporting you. But do you see how you are to cherish and nourish her and to give of yourself for her? This is turning the whole thing on its head. Your wife isn't there to be your servant. She is there to be your helpmate. This is the exaltation of wives, not just in the ancient world today. Do people abuse the text of Scripture and get it backwards? Absolutely. But they're not reading my Bible. They're not reading your Bible in the way that God intended it to be. In fact, I want to go so far as look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. If you're in your Bibles, you can turn there. The scripture is right there. Look at what he said. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Do you see what he's calling a wife? You are both heirs of all the blessings of Jesus. I mean, that's revolutionary in its, in its day, to be able to say equal heirs. There's not this idea of the first son and the lesser and the, the girls don't get anything. It's like, no, in the family of God, we're equal heirs. And then he says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. But do you see how he says, I want you to live with them in an understanding way. It's the weaker vessel. I'll tell you how I've seen people butcher this text they're like, well, it's pretty obvious, right? Like women are weaker than men. No duh, okay? Like physically, that's, that's obvious. That can be the case. But that's not what he's talking about there. He's not saying that women are weaker physically. I've heard people even go so far as to say, well, it's because women are weaker emotionally and mentally, logically. They're just not as rational as men. That's not what that text is saying either. That is a misreading of the text. It's so obvious because it's right there in the text. He has just talked in the verse right before this how a wife is called to submit to her husband. That's her role. That is a role where you are placing yourself under someone else willingly. And what he's saying is the person who is being placed under you, don't abuse your power over them. When he calls the wife the weaker vessel, that's what he's saying. She's being put underneath you. God has placed her under you. You're responsible for how you care for her. And so you see what I'm saying? Like God's word says, listen, if this is working the way I designed it, you tell me that there's not a wife out there who wants to follow and come under and assist a man who she knows his end goal is to make sure that in her life she is thriving, the family is thriving, and that he's going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. And are you telling me that there's not a husband out there who's not going to want a wife as a helper who, when he looks at her as he's trying to do this for the family, says, I am here 100% to help you see our family thrive, of which you're a part of. I want to come alongside with you and support you as you do that. Like, there's this beautiful harmony that comes. You know, we looked at it, uh, you know, last week. I showed you the picture of the figure skaters together as they're dancing and as they're going along and as they're, as they're on the ice, I mean, this right here 
We understand this. When each partner is fulfilling the role that they have and that they understand that role, it's a beautiful dance. It's a beautiful picture. And, and, and one of them has to lead. One of them has to make the decision. The man is like, I, I'm going to let you know when I'm going to throw you in, in this thing. Because if, 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 if he's not leading her in that and if she's not following along, like bad things are going to happen. But when they're going together, we say, well, that's beauty right there. And this is what God has for us. Which is why at the very end of the text, he says this, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. He's saying, let me just bring it all together. This is marriage with God's design. Now, men, I want to close with just two quick things and then an encouragement. The one is this. If we're going to do this well, if we're going to live this out on a practical level, like what it means is that we need to learn the needs and cares of your wife. You're going to need to learn the needs and cares of your wife. It's not just about me focusing on myself. It's going to say, if I'm going to love as Christ has loved me, Christ knew exactly what I needed, and he sought out my good. Do I know the needs of my wife? Does that mean that at times a husband is as... As he talks with his wife, as they communicate, that there's not going to be an opportunity for, for correction and even mutual correction to say, like, man, um, I get where your desires are and that. Does that line up with what God's word has for us or for you? But you want to learn the needs and cares of your wife, and then you want to speak well of and speak well to your wife. To nourish and to cherish is going to involve not just knowing the needs, caring for those needs, but then speaking to your wife in a way that shows your compassion and your care. And whether she receives it or not, at the end of the day, as I said last week, I said the same thing to wives, and I'm an equal opportunity pastor. (laughs) At the end of the day, what God's word makes clear, all the way back in verse one is this, a husband thrives in his role when it is done in and through Jesus Christ. A husband thrives in his role when it's done for and through Jesus Christ. He's done this for us, praise the Lord. It's the same for a wife, it's the same for a husband, and praise God that he has equipped, um, empowered, and because he already made that sacrifice, we can actually live this way out. May the Lord help us in these relationships, amen? Amen, let's pray together. Lord, we do not leave here on our own. We do not leave here ignorant. We know that as we go from this place, we have your Holy Spirit who goes for us and with us, and we have your word which shows us the beauty of your design which gives instruction and points us back to the fact, Lord, that anything that we're able to accomplish is because of what you've already accomplished in our lives because of Jesus Christ. And as I look out at a room like this, Lord, I know, I know that a message like this, even in my own heart and mind, Lord, it points so often to to failures and mistakes of the past and hurts even in the past. But Lord, what I pray we would cling to in our marriages is the hope of Christ and the grace that he provides. And that we're not gonna look at the other person and whether or not they're gonna change or do these things, but that we're gonna keep our eyes fixed on you. 
knowing that, Lord, at the end of the day, our marriages, it's not about us and our happiness. It's about us, Lord, and you using the people in our lives to refine us more and more to the image of Christ. But I do pray that as a husband and a wife, Lord, look to you, that, Father, as they look to live out who you have made them to be, that, Father, we would see in our church and then in this community marriages transformed because we know what Christ has done for us, and it's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.